Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I am your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. I'll pass it off first to Spartan Grown. You're muted. Sorry, my screen was gone. I had to find it. Okay, I'm Spartan. Sorry, I'm Spartan Grown. Uh, you can find me as Spartan Grown on Instagram, all one word, no spaces. And then uh, if you want to shoot me an email, you can shoot me an email, SpartanGrown at gmail.com. I'm an organic grower at home here in Michigan, but uh, and I even do a little bit of outdoor growing. But uh, at work all day, every day, it's indoor growing and it's synthetic. So I can help you with any of those. Happy to have you back. Next up, I'll pass it over to uh, a new face, probably to many, but a regular member of the panel, Kyle Breeder. Welcome back. Hey, everyone. Yeah, so anybody that has been following us, I think this is probably literally the first episode where I've actually showed my face. So uh, I'll try to make it like a regular thing. But uh, yeah, my name is Kyle Breeder. I special in, specialize in feminized seeds. If that's something you're looking for, I do have a website, which is the letter P followed by the word breeding.com. Um, I do have a seed launch coming out on the 29th of this month at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So if anybody that has been looking out for that, you might want to jump on that because it, it goes pretty quick. And uh, yeah, all social media platforms is now pure breeding, used to be predicated breeding. So uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. I like interacting with people and I'm glad to be here. That's a little easier, I think, for the spelling purposes, pure, P-U-R-E underscore breeding on all social media platforms, uh, previously predicated breeding, but happy to have you back, Kyle. And next up, uh, our resident IPM specialist and uh, badass dude, Matthew Gates. I'll have to add that to my resume. Yeah, this is Matthew Gates, uh, IPM specialist. So that it means that I deal with pests and their mitigation, and I follow a holistic practice in doing so. That's very context dependent, and I've been, I guess, it'd be a good time to say, a professional in this industry for over ten years now, which is surreal to say even now. And if you'd like to find more information about what I do, you can find me on my YouTube channel Xenthanol. You can find my articles on Skunk Magazine. You can find me at my Twitter at Sync Angel and on my Instagram at Sync Angel. If you got questions, you can also subscribe to my Patreon where I like to um, answer people's questions about various pest issues at various tiers. You can even suggest a video subject. Very cool. I know you've got a little Discord over there as well going that uh, a lot of people are interacting with who are involved in the Patreon. It's great to have that first access. Great to have you back as always. And next up, we got Brandon Rust. Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's going on all, to all listeners? Brandon Rust here. Uh, always good to be back. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me at Instagram at rust.brandon. You can also find a link in my in the bio to my company, Bokashi Earthworks, and my farm, uh, Black Label Organics. Happy to have you back as always. And last and certainly not least, the American one. Hello, Jack, everybody on panel and everyone out in chat. Uh, I'm the American one on the YouTubes and the American one underscore with a underscore Keens on the IG. And uh, yeah, shout out to everyone in chat. Smart Poker, Crispy Wannabe, Cheddar Bob. Uh, who else did I see? Ancient Soul Groans always here. Crack Babies, DWC. Crack just, Babies, good to they, see everybody here. They just said they topped their Amy Aces, which they won in that giveaway recently. So uh, cheers to that. They've already got it growing. Pretty good stuff. Excellent. Always good to see the community growing. And uh, speaking of community, Spartan was talking a little bit before the show about uh, some of the happenings going on in the Michigan community. Not all of our listeners are Michigan grows, uh, 
Bro, Michigan Bros Bro Show listeners quite yet. But uh, for those who, who don't listen, I know you'll probably talk a little bit about it later tonight as well. But I'm just curious uh, how things went. I saw you got some products. It looks like you met up with some people over there in Michigan. Maybe you could share a little with our audience about uh, what went down. We could go around the horn with a little update. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, thank you. So yeah, yesterday was the, there's, it's a two day event. It was called Craptoberfest. They had it up at the Auto City Speedway in Clio, Michigan, which is near Birch Run or Flint. And um, it was a smaller, I think it was mostly because it was cold as hell yesterday. It was super windy, cold. I think the high was 55 maybe. But anyhow, they, uh, they just had a bunch of booths lined up on the racetrack and then they had a um, a big stage set up for musical acts and um man the michigan michigan bros grow show had a boot well no it was red setter farm dank man dan everyday mary j for Groly. these are all booths so they were all right next to each other for Groly, med grower one we were all right next to each other um it was like as soon as you walked in if you'd probably walked past maybe eight booths before you got to like that string of all so it was kind of cool it was like the youtube community kind of all stuck together right there it was pretty awesome to we were and then right past our booth i think there was maybe one more booth and then the stage so it was pretty sweet we had a pretty sweet spot and that's where i was hanging out most of the time but i met a bunch of people from the community man i'm going to forget people if i start naming people off but so i'll apologize to that from the get but uh i mean it was like i see blue kiss gardens there i saw detroit river rat i saw thunder dan um Fl uh, fluffykins from the caribou heart organics was there um i'm gonna forget uh, uh miss vicious who's um big on the mycology side of things here in michigan in michigan so it was awesome to see her and talk to her um oh stony rockefeller larry og were there they did a perform they did several different songs pretty awesome i put a one of their songs uh dab it up probably one of my favorite songs by them up on uh i don't remember if i put it on my story if it was a, another, i think it was an actual post so it was cool to hang with those guys to see them man oh oh uh, how did i how could i forget uh captain 420 robert i can't pronounce your last name i'm not gonna try and then uh I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and just start naming names, but yeah, there's a lot of tons of people there and I had an amazing time. We got my cat chronic shirt on that I got there from, from them at their concert. So that was cool. And, uh, everybody was just so generous. So I don't know. It was just like going to like a family reunion kind of a deal more than it was like going to an event. And that's really what the events are kind of turning out to be anymore in, uh, in Michigan, at least for me, the ones I've been going to. It's good if you surround yourself with the right people. It's uh, one big can of family and people are pretty generous. And uh, from what I've seen, all the people treat each other really well and are uh, friendly sharing cuts, uh, you know, finished product, whether it's concentrate or flour. And uh, as long as you're a decent human being and you hang around, like it, some people have like even grown into the community. I shout out to like Tara Wilson. She, she was like a basically a beginner grower. And she, it, I think she's moved to Michigan at this point. She's from Ohio. Yeah. She's became part a of professional community. grower now. She's working up at in Kalkaska at uh, Freedom Green Farms. So there's somebody that was a viewer that was watching us on the Michigan Bros Grow Show. And then, uh, you know, kind of we kind of embraced her as part of the community member because she would she would drive from Ohio and come up to all of her events and stuff. And but yeah, so she made connections and then she uh, leveraged that to get a job. And I couldn't be happier for her. She's so happy right now.
Definitely happy for her. I also want to shout out Red Setter Farm. He's got another uh, channel that's pushing the entheogen, just like education and uh, dissuading, dispelling a lot of the misinformation. Uh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but uh, Spartan might know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's going to have one tonight, too. And it's right after the Michigan Bros Grow Show. And uh, I'm blanking on the name as well. Polarity Science. Polarity right. Science. There we go. Polarity Science. And I just want to shout out Red. Oh my God, did he step up his game and elevated past any other booth there, honestly? If I mean, if I was honestly trying to be. Yeah, uh, dude. I, I, I can't be, I can't be like not biased, but if I was trying to be non biased as possible and walk through, I could be that was the best biased. booth. I saw his um, post on IG and it was professional. He had his, uh, him and his work, it was also, you know, wearing like the same shirt, you know, and his, but his layout very professionally had like individual cases for the concentrates he had like samples of the nugs so that everyone could see it it was really uh the really stickers on the pre-roll and like the little tins it, it yeah. looked very well done yeah it was time. really good Big hey while I'm, while I'm babbling let me shout out uh dr mj coco i watched a germination uh video that he did shortly before uh we came on air he just posted it uh, it's really interesting and good i i uh think everyone should go check it out later for sure. And after uh, Spartan finishes up, I want to pass it over to Brandon because he's got some cool information with like NASA agrotech that he's working with about like seed coated stuff and even like the pots. I think I want to pass it to him and uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit after. I want to hear some more uh, info on Red's booth because I feel like we cut you off before we even got started there. No, I mean, you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, Astro Charlie did a good job with the design of um, just his, his marketing, his labeling, like he had a Mandela mandala uh, background was all red and black like with his logo tied in it was fucking beautiful stuff and then just like what you guys were saying it, it transferred from every item i mean he had nice wood boxes with plexiglass um display boxes and he had every one of his strains he took out a nug of every one so you could see every single strain had it and then he had every one of his varieties of hashes that he had out there i got the last gram of his uh Girls gone wild hash because it was purple hash. And how often do you get a chance to get you some purple hash? So, but I got, I grabbed that and everything was just so professionally done looking and so, so well laid out. Like the plant was given the respect it deserved. That's the best way I can put it. I definitely think from his working at a dispensary or, uh, you know, delivery service or wherever he's working at, I think when you get to, work in that professional setting and even like seeing maybe like uh emerald cup it almost reminded me of like when you'd see each nug underneath the plexiglass like laid out per strain he took like all the professional elements and kind of bundled it into his own little booth so uh, big props to him and uh i wanted to pass it over next to brandon because we were talking a little bit about dr mj's seed germination video and i was curious if you had more info on uh you shared something with our cheap home grow group that was about uh seeds that you said it's going to be coming soon to cannabis seeds that are basically like a nutritive coating on the outside of the seed? Yeah. So one of the tech, it's <clears throat> technology that it's been around and it's used in uh, other sectors of agriculture. I don't know if I've seen anybody doing the, the coating, but it can be specifically formulated for the nutritional needs, but also it's not just the nutrition that it's coated with. It also has um, things like gibberellic acid, and some other um, uh, hormones in it to help uh, with germination rates and initial vigor. One of the things that um, Dr. Uh, Caltiez is 
formulating is uh, being able to um, and kind of insert a, a type of enzyme that's going to increase the nitrogenase path pathway. Um, it's hard. It's really super complex, man. These guys are brilliant, and a lot of the stuff is even above my technical level. Um, but they have some uh, pretty interesting technology that I'm going to be able to bring to market through my company. One of them being the uh, the NutriPot, which is a manufactured uh, humic fulvic base, and it's a completely uh, chelated nutrition. So it has full full uh, full uh, micro and macro elements. And it's biodegradable. And the idea is when you uh, germinate a plant in this, you can just put this directly into the soil. And as it breaks down, it's giving the plant, it's the nutrition it needs to get it through the initial uh, maturing cycle, or not mature cycle, but to get it through the vegetative cycle <clears throat> uh, to assist it in, you know, root development and, and just have a, excess of um uh nutrient reserve uh and one of the things that that's really interesting about it too is that it can replace um like the cheap throwaway plastic and one of the things that somebody was would told me is that there's going to be an argument about you know a lot of the plastic being reusable they can wash it and stuff these things can also be inserted into that. So that way um, you can just pull this out and then plant, transplant this and still get the benefit of the nutrition. And these things are gonna be completely made out of the, the nutrient. And so if a, if a cup weighs you know, 60 or 80 grams, you're getting 80 grams of a very, very concentrated, um, because what they're doing is, they're taking these natural uh, mined carbon sources, they purify them, and then they add in the, the mined mineral input. But what they're doing is they're using it under, they're doing it under a certain pressure, temperature, and pH to where they are able to stabilize all the elements on a molecular level um, and keep them from binding to anything else except the carbon itself. So that way the carbon is actually brought into the system via the root system, enhancing the, uh, the rubisco, it, it increases the, the efficiency um, because rubisco, which is an acronym for a very long enzyme that's responsible for breaking CO2 and turning it into um, carbon monoxide and it's transported into a different reactor in the plant. And then a separate reactor breaks the H2O from the water that's being drawn from the media. And that, um, after that's broken, uh, the hydrogen is, is sent down a different pathway into the same reactor that the carbon monoxide went down. And that's where everything happens. That's the whole function of the plant is to simply have enough energy to combine the nutrients um, but here's the kicker. It's crazy. He was showing me a bunch of research. And what he's showing is that 
Okay, so you have this, this reactor where both of these different reactors combine their product and all of the proteins, chemical constituents are, are made there. And they're made out of those plant elements that are in soil and being that are available, right? And they're going up the xylem into these uh, reactors. But what's really interesting and kind of tripped me out was that the chemical nutrition was actually more complicated. It was in a higher percentage actually going back down the phloem. So the majority of the, the compounds that the plant does produce are going back out of the plant. Um, it's really, it, it, that kind of tripped me out because you would think that the mineral, most of the mineral nutrition would be going up, but most of it is just being converted in this reactor here. It takes all the stuff that it needs at that specific moment, and then it releases all the rest back into the system. So it's not a super efficient system because when this in the first reactor where co2 is being converted you're only getting maybe a the the oxygen is like uh 20 to 1 um and so it's a very insufficient way of getting that and so adding these molecularly stabilized molecules helps increase that efficiency in both the two reactors that are sending uh, their, their constituent chemicals to the, to the other reactor to make all the stuff, if that makes sense. It doesn't because Brandon, the C3 system is, uh, inherently inefficient. Yeah. And so no, no, no. What I mean that there's no way to remediate that. Well, that's what he's worked on is, is different enzyme pathways that are being stimulated through you know, the, the process that he uses for these very, very pure humic and fulvic acids, um, the way that he, that he explained it to me is that they're able to be taken up along with mineral elements to help improve, to get a, a additional carbon sources. I'm definitely a little bit uh, lost over here. So I know some of the listeners are probably going to be confused by some of the stuff, but I definitely look forward to the future of uh, these types of products. If they are indeed effective, I think that they'll take hold and become widely used if it's as successful as they're uh, promoting, if it can be done at cost and scale. But I'm, I'm curious. Well, it's, it has been done at scale. And the whole thing is the only reason it hasn't been done over here is because uh, America is still built off of the petrochemical industry and the extracts that they get that are a lot of times are the, are the uh, synthetically derived chemicals that we're using in agriculture. He has a plant in, in China that they built 35 years ago. And what they do is they take this, this carbon substance and they purify it into a very pure form of humic and fulvic acids. Do you That's think, Brandon, they, that might be that what you're talking about right now, that or at least a similar mechanism might be the key that they're looking for, the reason why biochar is so effective in the soil? Um, maybe it's the fact that maybe there's a, a microbe creating that enzyme that's be able yeah, to so make that marriage to the to carbon. It's it's extremely, extremely complicated 
and I can't know all the answers. He literally presented me with books that are going to be, I'm going to be studying for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> yes. I have a simple so question. You, Would you use soil like a, a nutrient mixed soil like you're currently using, or could you use like a cocoa and with the nutrients inside of that, it seems like it wouldn't be enough. It seems like it's more of an additional or supplemental. Like if it runs no, out. It, it, I asked, I asked that same question because that's one of the things I need to know what, where the market would be too. And the answer is yes, it could be used in those types of systems because it's going to be formulated based off of my saturated paste tests and the, all the data that I've been collecting. So if I have a starting point, I can start testing it to see exactly if that's possible. So I'll, grow, I'll grab something like a, a, um, a cocoa mix that's just, you know, cocoa or whatever, and maybe some calcium added to it or something like that. I don't know. And do a trial with it. I did a trial with with it already, and it's something that's in the process right now. Which it immediately had my attention because I saw um, I saw uh, some really interesting things start to happen. And the plants themselves looked like they started looking like they were pl made of plastic. Um, so. I went over there just so I could figure out, you know, talk to this, this gentleman and they're very generous. And I think, you know, he's pretty up there in age and I think he just wants to be able to get to kind of bridge the gap to the next generation, but he's already successively, you know, when he started this project um, currently at that time, the, the protein content of rice in China was 6%. He brought that number up to 11%. And he also was able to double the yield. He was able to do two crops, two crops on the same, um, on the same uh, piece of land, the same acreage. Rice paddy? Yeah, which I guess they're like 0.6 acres. I forget what the name of them are. They don't have a lot of arable land, right? Maybe they have the largest population and then the least amount of arable land and air quality is oftentimes really bad, so they do with all these environmental factors but when you're adding this type of carbon-based nutrient it, it's adding carbon into the soil so it helps build the biology as well uh, adding something that's not going to fall out of uh of a form that's available to the plant you know because if you can have something that is all immediately uh um it can be in, immediately metabolized by the plant uh, uh and then then it the, it just it doesn't have to work as hard it, it's kind of like my understanding you know the plants are releasing chemicals into the root zone to soybilize different chemicals and that's part of what it does if those chemicals are present already you know in my mind i see the plant using the energy that it has and the in the nutrient that it has and the car this carbon and everything that has access to to complete other types of functions that may be associated with some type of you know maybe an epigenetics response where it's upregulating some type of gene causing you know uh, a resistance uh something like i don't that. want to speculate super like out there but i'm just curious uh how many runs it'll last like before it gets consumed like in a living soil system like yours if you transplanted one of those little pots i sh uh, shared screen of you earlier kind of showing what looked about a solo cup size 
And um, if you transplanted that into either a, a living soil bed or even like a three to five gallon pot of living soil, I'd be curious if it would last, like if you kind of pulled it out the next run, would it still be there? Or would it have been broken down and uh, basically like digested by the soil? I can't imagine that in the types of soil that I use that this thing would be in there for more than three months. You know, I think it would break down in a single run <clears throat> because of the, the root mass that would just, it would swallow the, that cup. And one of the things too, is that you could even use that as an insert in a solo cup, you know, so that way you can just transplant the whole thing. My solo cups are at least biodegradable. So I've uh, made it to that level of uh, hippie, I guess they're compostable. Uh, I've got like a clear and red one, but uh, it's a little better than just regular old plastic. But since Kyle has uh, made the move of actually showing off his face tonight, I want to give him a little bit of face time and maybe a chance to talk about his upcoming drop. Cause I know he just did some work with uh, green Bodies. I saw that you wrote, it's like the breeders cuts. So what I'm kind of presuming from this, cause I haven't seen anybody testing them or heard or seen any photos of the crosses or anything is the take, like you're both using your best, like proven cuts. And then you're releasing that um, with the kind of thought that it's already tried and true. So you don't have to test the cuts or is this something that's gone through like the same testing process as your other stuff has? Yeah. I mean, I've tested them in veg um, and um, the current, I have a, a couple that are currently in flower now, but yeah, I mean, we basically took, um, well, he gave me he gave me a bunch of pollen from Hazy Kush, which is his best is uh, well one of his best varieties, feminized varieties, and uh, I basically laced that up with a bunch of uh, varieties that are in my tent. Uh, some of them I don't want to release just because I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but the ones that I do know are the strawberry sugar cookies, um, which is strawberry slush, the uh, New England rock candy, which I mean I've never seen a bad cross from that on anything I've ever put out. Um, it's actually made it better um but uh so that which is the new england hazy kush and then i have the uh the root beer gmo by root beer back cross from mean gene and skunk tech that was personally gifted to me from them uh i mean i'm not gonna get behind the scenes of how i got it but um but it came from them personally and uh basically i crossed that into the hazy kush which is uh the hindu root beer um and i have some other stuff i have a rock candy daughter that I crossed his pawn into and uh, uh the limerilla that Brendan had the cut that I found through the seed lot they had given me uh, like a year ago that's been pollinated by hazy kush uh but I haven't tested those or like groom them out yet so I don't want to I'm not going to release that to the public just because I don't know what's going to happen with that and I just don't feel it might be fine I just don't know yet I, I don't just release I try not to just release it or I don't or just release stuff without knowing anything but uh yeah, so I've been trying to figure out when, so, uh, when to drop that, and I was going to do it on Halloween, but I just think a lot of people are going to be busy that day, uh, maybe if they have kids and doing stuff. So uh, the 29th, which is Friday, uh, I'm going to do the drop then. I'll have my new packaging, so that's pretty exciting. I get that tomorrow because I obviously have a company name change, so the new, I'll have new packaging involved with that. And, uh, yeah, it should be good stuff, man. I'm really pumped about that. And um, how many packs roughly of each cross are you uh, dropping? Because I said it looked like it's a one time only limited release is kind of what I took from the post I saw earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Once they even if they which I mean, I have a feeling they're going to sell out. But even if they do sell, like it's not coming back just because me and John, you know, it's always about just moving forward in the industry. So, I mean, I highly doubt we're going to backtrack this. So even if you don't have room in your tent, I would collect them just because it's just they're really I would collect them. I, I, I find them to be kind of coveted. but. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so I've been thinking about doing, I guess I'm going to do three and five packs again. And, you know, the whole point, it's like, I don't know, I get a lot of flack or some flack. And I don't know if it would be negative flack that like, why am I not like charging what some of these other guys are charging where they're like $200, $300 packs. But like at the end of the day, like uh, I don't see the need for all that, you know, and if I can give quality for, uh, cause I mean, you know, there's a huge, you know, or even like I thought about doing five and 10 packs, but like, what about, I'm sure there's a massive part of the market. And I know, cause I've seen them that like, some people are still having a hard time with COVID. Some people are living week to week. Some people literally only have the $30. So like if I jump up to five and tens and like that just shuts off, like maybe 65 people that can't, that just maybe had the 40 bucks and then just wanted a three pack or something. So uh, I'm just going to leave it at threes and fives. And some people, if they want more, they can order more or not. Uh, so I'm just kind of doing that for everybody else and leaving it around, you know, the 10 to $12 range per seed. So that's respectable, man. I think a lot of people, um, especially when supply is limited, want to, you know, supply and demand. They want to raise the price, but uh, it's admirable that you're putting it out there for reasonable cost to the people, especially during hard times like right now. I can personally vouch for the Hazy Kush that uh, Fem Pollen that he sent you. I not only consumed a lot of it, but um, had hundreds of patients when I was every service who loved the stuff. I know we had a lot of uh, John Greenbody's. Uh, flower down here and we had a Oregon connection I guess this was in the prop uh, 215 days um, before the legalization in California things were a little bit more gray and uh, my buddy had a good source of uh, green body work and I enjoy this the medicine it's a good cush representation and I think mixed with your work it'll produce a lot of uh, cool offspring for people to look through so I hope people get their hands on that stuff and uh, it'll be cool to see what they find with that said I want to pass it to another breeder we've got a uh, the American one has been quiet over there. Uh, respectfully, I know we don't want to cut each other off and things like that. But uh, yeah, I just know a lot of people are growing amyases and uh, I'm about to harvest some very, very soon. I've been saying that for weeks, but uh, I just let it ride till it gets nice and ripe. So uh, it's still How stinking at my working? house. It's great, man. It, it, I need to start taking pictures because I've been slacking on that busy in life and other things, but uh, still making sure the garden is tended to and it's looking very, very nice. Uh, it's going to be a well, healthy, healthy yielder. And is she stinking up the place yet? Oh, yeah. So it's got like a citrusy uh, lemon with uh, cheese and like rubber and like just a funk, like a underlying like foot, almost like a just nasty old funk. But it's a yeah. great combination. Yeah, we're interested to see what it ends up like curing out to. What's the, uh, Might what's have the, to uh, get a sample your way. What's the parental lineage on that? Yeah, it's a well, so it's uh it's from a bag seed. The mother is a bag seed uh that I grew out, and I don't know the lineage. And the father is cheesequake. So it was a bag seed from like in a red state that didn't even have like they didn't say it was like green crack or anything like that. It's I got some weed. Here's my bag, <laughs> kind of bag seed. Um, yeah. But the one thing I want to say about Cheesequake is if we look at the lineage of that, it's UK cheese with uh, Jack the Ripper. And I've grown Jack the Ripper and had a lot of Jack the Ripper. Uh, rest in peace, Subcool, one of my favorite breeders. And that has a lot of the citrus. And I think that's definitely shining through even in the Amy, that uh, very, very sharp citrus, like uh, unmistakably citrusy notes. But there's a lot of other uniqueness in there with that UK cheese and whatever came from the RB proprietary uh, mother yeah. bag of seed. The... Um... Cheesequake is actually Urkel, Corkle. So I think it's not straight up Jack Herrera. 
double check that. Oh right. yeah, you know what it is. You're right. It's a uh, quirkle yeah. crossed to uh, UK cheese. I'm I'm messing up my lineages here. A little medicated on the show. A lot of uh, subs work was JTR mail, but it's the quirkle mail is what you're saying there. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of mails, Chef OMJ just posted a mail on his Instagram recently, and he's talking about how a lot of basically people are only growing the females and uh, we're losing some of the genetic diversity. And I couldn't agree more. I think that it's great to see people growing males and making their own seeds, whether it's just F2 something or making crosses of a few strains that they like. Uh, it's, I think a lot, a lot of people don't realize uh, how much control you can have over the plant with breeding. And uh, Kyle's done a lot of really cool work with uh, his crosses and you can see the genetic lineages of both sides, a little bit of a mix. Sometimes one leans one more this way or the other way, but uh, the American one, I know you've got some other crosses, your blueberry stuff that's going out. So it's just, uh, and Brandon, I, you've got, uh, to pass it back to you, I guess, your um, limelight and a whole bunch of other crosses that have been dropping recently. You've got an F2 of something. I saw the art. I can't remember the uh, name, but you've got a whole bunch of different I, stuff coming out. Let's see. So I did the... Limarilla times Mac V2. I didn't release that in the F1 because on the first test that I did, I had some herms pop up and then I did another run in my R&D container on it. I didn't have any instability, but I did open pollination with the best male that I had found out of that uh, variety. And then I also uh, did open pollination on the Black Lime Reserve all the best female selections of those. And then um, let's see, I have the, uh, I haven't released the, I didn't never release the F1 of the, the great aunt secret times Mac V2. And I'm hunting and testing the F2s. And then I'll go through a larger selection of F2s uh, on my next run. And then um, I'll start selecting for that. And then I'm also doing the blueberry train Mac F2. Um, I have a, I have a really rad male that I, that I'm going to, um, I, I'm not, I have one female that I have my eye on it, but I think I'm going to probably run through, uh, a couple more, um, to try to find a better, a better female selection. I just want to try to find something that's like the perfect combination of structure. I want to get that like really nice tight bud structure that comes from like the Mac, from the Mac side, but I want, but I'm looking for almost the exact pro uh, terpene profile from the blueberry train wreck. So I'm just doing, I'm just doing a bunch of testing right now before I release the next two things I'll release is the limelight F2 and then the black lime reserve times limelight. Um, and then I have those other projects that I'm just working on and it'll be a while before I uh, release anything. Oh, and I also have the the death breath uh, times um, lime one BX. I never released that. I have a couple of lime things that I'm working on, but they're just, um, I'm just going through selections and stuff right now. And um, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to actually be releasing any of that stuff. Probably, probably until maybe next year, like 18 months from now, I'm working this line uh, probably until F4. I think, and then I'll release it. That's cool. Who's your person that's doing this uh, artwork that I'm showing up here on the screen for the Limelight F2? And I, it seems like they've uh, similar artwork for your other uh, strains and shirts and merch and everything. Yes. So what I've done, and I did this for a reason, right? I wanted to build characters for the seed drop. So you'll see the alien in the Blueberry Train Mac 
um, photos. There's uh, the gorilla. That same gorilla was in the Lime Gorilla times Lime One BX. So I'm familiarizing people with characters that can be built on with other varieties in the future. And I can use that for other marketing purposes, make, you know, t-shirts with the, with the characters on them and stuff like that. I like it because um, it not only is like a good brand recognition thing, but also you're using like certain strains that the continuation is like represented in the art. Um, T-Dog, the artist is another artist who does some cool work with uh, that kind of stuff. You can see like within the art, then he'll even like write certain things. Here's your Malawi dog. You've got like this little uh, hyena thing going on here. But if you see that again in the future, you can kind of uh, expect there to be some Malawi dog lineage within whatever the strain is. And I think it's yeah. a definitely now, an interesting that way to go about that. That Malawi dog was actually a preservation project. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep working on that line. It was just one of those things where I felt like, hey, I should probably save this and preserve it so i have like a bunch of seeds for myself i don't know i don't i don't have any future plans of using it at the moment but um the the lime crosses it and then that blueberry train max and then you know i'm developing this one the the gas uh v2 that'll be released as f3 and i want to i'll you know, it's really good outdoor because it finishes in mid-September. See, there's the alien again. He's driving the, uh, he's driving the train. The train, which represents a little bit of like, there's a train wreck across the Mac, the Blueberry Train Mac. So, the, he's got a ship up there. You know, like so, I it's just familiarizing the audience. It's kind of just for marketing purposes. It's like how Disney markets its characters. You know. Brendan, are you using that cut that I that I found through your seed line at all? Or are you just kind of, or what do you, or do you have plans with that or no? Uh, it's just been slowly vegging in the corner because um, Bodie sent like thirty cut, uh, thirty clones to me, and he gave me probably like nine different varieties, and so we vegged them up all huge, and I got that plant from you, and it was kind of small, and they're already big, so I put it in my room, but uh, it's just slowly vegging. We're actually chopping cloning out all of our mothers and then resetting our room so uh we've almost finished cutting out and cloning all of the uh the moms that we created from the cuts that he gave us um that we're, we're running those in our greenhouse next run and then that lime i'm gonna start vegging that lime gorilla up my uh, gorilla glue that i just got back um the death breath and then a uh, sour cheese berry my, my lime gorilla breeder cut your lime gorilla cut the Afghani bull rider, the regular bull rider, my fronts, and the 79 Christmas pine bud. I was just responding to a comment in the chat. Uh, Chad Westport asked if when he sells F2s, if he tells people that there's going to be uh, genetic diversity. Um, or is he advertising minimal phenos, more homozygous as can be? Um, and it just really, in my experience, depends on the starting genetics because like the Velvet Punch F1s that I had were pretty similar to the F2, other than they turned purple a little bit later. They had similar smells, flavor, uh, growth pattern, morphology. The one kind of like unique thing was a occasionally people like the American one got like a fern type pheno, like a zigzag leaf pheno or sawtooth pheno is what I was calling it. But I'd say it was like one in 20. 
um, out of the F2s, people found that, or maybe one in 15 at the most. But for more often than not, uh, pretty uniform. Spartan had one variation, but I think that might have either been a genetic uh, issue or maybe like a pollen contamination thing. But uh, like Brandon mentioned earlier, I think he just did the F2 for his own preservation project. And I'm doing the F2ing and all that stuff more is like a learning project to see how it changes from F1 to F2 to F3. I thought it would be way more because everything I've heard on podcasts and when I read all these things, people say, oh, F1, you know, you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that from the mom and the dad. You know, there's going to be like, some are going to be 50-50, some are be leaning towards mom, some are going to be leaning towards dad. Then at F2, they say, all these grandparent traits are going to start popping out and you're going to see wild shit. And I sent out hundreds that's of seeds. F3 for sure, man. Uh for my so experience, I think F3 is like completely bonkers, dude. It goes that ballistic. So I think it depends on selection and the yeah, starting genetics. Because like if you have a polyhybrid, it's going to be different than if you have like an inbred line, right? So yeah. I think most yeah. people, I've some heard a lot. Some things will express harder. Like some yeah, stuff it. just has like hardier genetics. And like maybe one male will pass a certain characteristic across several different lines. And you can see that if you use a single male, on something and then you use a different male from that that same line on the same clone sets you can see that there's differences in which which way they're being passed and i think it might be too where people count their generations i've heard a lot of old time guys tell me that to them f1 isn't until you make your first cross so when you take a plus b then you'd make your selection from those progeny that's your f1 once you make that once you make that cross so okay. to me, most people would call, most people would call that F two. So I, I mean, I don't know, man. I've heard that I'm same sure thing. It Spartan. depends on the grandparents too. If, if like the mother and the father had Northern Lights as grandparents, a part of their thing, then it'll be more consistent. Like throughout, if they all had the same parents, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right now, it's mostly like okay you've got like a cookies and an OG, which are like both in the same kind of tree over here. But for a while it was like, here's some shit from Thailand. Here's some shit from Afghanistan. So you have a P1 and a P1, which are like pure land race genetic. And then somebody crossed those back in the seventies or eighties, whenever they got the bag seeds and grew them out. And that's like DJ short started breeding that way where he had a true P1. So when he crossed that first generation, you'd get an F1. There was a lot of hybrid, bigger heterozygosity. Um, and I think uh, Kyle even has a strain that's named after, there's another term for hybrid vigor, heterosis. So you, you might mean, see that those, with more pure purebred strains than yeah. somebody who's crossing like a cookie OG, something polyhybrid into another cookie OG polyhybrid. Uh, that at F1 might not represent like the hybrid vigor because there's so much genetic diversity going on. Not until you select and like inbreed where you take a brother and a sister from that first initial cross, I'll call it instead of an F1 then the next generation might be considered like what some call an F1, a filial first generation because filial meaning directly within the same family, right? So brother, sister. Um, so I think Spartan's actually right. The old heads are correct to say, what most people are calling an F1 is just the initial cross unless you're working with like a land race genetic. So until you're doing the F2, what I'm calling my velvet punch F2s are probably really like the F1s. So my F3s are really going to be like the F2s. And that's where Kyle's saying like the F3s are where you start to get real wild shit. So I'm curious to see how the velvet punch F3s as I'm labeling them are going to turn out. So it's a, it's an experience thing, you know, and yeah, I think it's, it's worth going through the process. When I crossed that Durban with the, you know, which is Durban is, I wouldn't say it's original uh, in regards to its lineage, but it's pretty close to staying in its own. Uh, I'd say lane. it's a land race, man. Durban has been in South Africa for 
as long yeah. as recorded history from my knowledge and research that I've done, it's like hundreds of years at this point from what I understand. Yeah. So when I crossed that into the Cushman, literally every seed, it, they were like so perfectly uniform. I was like perplexed by the whole thing. And, and it was just really cool. And you could know what traits were homozygous and heterozygous. Like it kept completely kept the Cush body, but it was just greasy. Like the Durban was on the actual mother. And it was just so interesting to, to just, even see that kind of a project, you know? And then after a while I was playing with the land race, which was really cool as well, just to see like where all the varieties came from, like the Kerala, which had like a pure Christmas tree style and the sativa, the, the Thai and the, so I mean, I, I think everybody should kind of play around with that for a little bit. It's just so cool to see the different kinds of structures that come from those land race varieties. It's so different. And which well, like way, what you're you just know, talking about, working with the land race or like the Durban and then crossing it to a, a Kush, which might've been like an Afghani fairly pure, if not like a, you know, inbred by families, passing down for hash, making for generations. You are seeing kind of like what we've, we read about and hear about in the breeding and genetics textbooks of like, you take a white rose and then you breed it to a red rose and like a certain amount of them are going to be white, certain amount are going to be red. And then you got the pink and it's like, a, you got, you can see like that homozygosity and heterozygosity and like the actual traditional senses. But where we're at now, it's kind of like, I hate to say it, but like breeding with mutts, like you have uh, a lot of American genetics are so intertwined with so many different things um that i'm just having fun with it and trying to learn as much as i can but i definitely think that it's not as um pure as some of the untouched like land race stuff and that's why i think a lot of people go to that land race to make those initial f1 crosses to start even then working back into like an og or a cookies uh not green Bodie, but <laughs> Bodie plant more seeds on instagram has been known to do that as well so um it's cool there's so much diversity in the breeding community because you've got other guys that are just like exotic genetics and uh others that have like most modern cuts and they're putting them together with one another and seeing how they work out and oftentimes they're finding some really fire stuff but um i think sometimes you are playing with fire because a lot of that stuff has hermaphroditic tendencies in the lineage so it's a crazy world in, in modern times but the one thing i do think is if you look at the curve of like from like the 1970s till right now um, THC has been basically going straight up. So like when people are questioning these 35%, 40% THC tests, I don't think it's that crazy anymore. I've seen it so many times at so many different labs. I don't think that all the labs are cheating or fudging their numbers. I think at certain points, some of the highest testing strains, I think that THC number, and it's not the only thing that matters, but I do think it's actually gone up, uh, from where it used to be because it was like 15% was high a long time ago. And then 20 was high and then 25 and then 30. So I think through natural selection and breeding, um, or not natural selection, but, you know, artificial selection, taking the best, strongest, most potent plant every single time, as far as like what they're considering potent by the testing, because people are breeding for the market now. Right. And, uh, unless it has over, I think at this point, what's a high number, right? Thir like 30 is almost the new standard or even 35. So they want to see 30. I always felt like that was a really high amount. It is um, extremely high. And, uh, right. And, and also like on that note, there's a little bit out of left field. I just got through watching an interesting video about, um, sort of the history of cannabis use specifically by Indo-European groups and, and various research related to that. And it was interesting because, um, you know, a lot of these Neolithic time periods, like, you know, many millennia ago, like 10,000 years or so, um, people that would smoke it or use some sort of like, you know, like burning of the, of the plant matter. 
uh, often they would use like in the in the bronze age and even earlier uh, they do like braziers like kind of like pots that they would put like stones in that would have been heat like really hot and heated and then they would put the plant material in there and it would basically they'd hot box a tent essentially or they would or, or they would pull it around with like a like a uh, I, I saw some really cool diagrams about um not just diagrams but uh, uh artifacts to this end like wooden uh braziers with with rocks and they have like holes on both sides that you could like smoke the well you could smoke the smoke out of and um i bring it all up because we're talking about uh potency and i just wonder if i mean obviously it's going to have an effect the potency of the plant when you when you go to like paralyze it but um i wonder if that was a really good way of mitigating low yields right if you just like if you just burn more of it and you just put it in a massive like you know uh <laughs> device and you just like make a ton of really thick cloud smoke i don't know i just feel like that's just an interesting thing to consider um because i think if you've that, ever hotboxed a car you'll know the effect right, of being yeah. and re rebreathing that smoke i do think it whether it's lessening your oxygen level or rebreathing thc in the air or, or some other chemicals from the cannabis in the air every single time i've like blacked out like a car with smoke or like whited it out where it's so thick you can barely like see your hand in front of your face i feel like i got a lot more high than if I hadn't, you know? So I do think that there might be something to both oxygen deprivation and also just the extreme amount of smoke, which is much higher than you would typically see in your lungs. Like they were doing in these sometimes like ceremonies, they'd be not only just in a smoked out tent, they'd be like drumming and chanting. And so like their oh, yeah. hearts racing, their lungs are taking in lots of that smoke and limited amounts of air. So I think there's a lot to it, but there are are cases of like pipes and, and bongs even in history i know like the hope mound builders in ohio like ten thousand year old pipes with cannabis resin uh showing they were actually smoking and consuming uh cannabis very likely uh very long time ago and there was other i think in some of the mountains there was like uh like barbarian tribe type groups that had like golden bongs back in the day that they found some uh artifacts of so there's been lots of different uh, cannabis and the, the hash eaters in India. There were people that oh, yeah. used to just eat hash like by the handful. They would, you know, do the charas or whatever, rub plants and get tons and tons of hash and then eat it like large and large, like huge amounts of it to the point to be crazy hallucinogenic. And <laughs> a lot of those people had <laughs> like the religious or spiritual visions, you know, and they'd be like the, you know, uh, elevated yogis, I guess, or whatever they were in their time. But it's it's an interesting uh, history of the use, but. I do think that the potency curve has continued to go up despite people now discovering CBG, CBD, THC, eight or Delta eight, whatever, you know, like we're breeding and picking for other things, but people still have their eye on that THC number. Like people have their eye on, you know, not as much in alcohol, but if you look at a beverage, like a, a glass of wine only has a certain amount of alcohol versus like a shot of whiskey, you know, that you're not going to drink the same amount of whiskey as you would want. So it's just something to pay attention right. to. What I'm wondering, do. Jack, is uh, you know you're only allowed to have you know a lot of people say that you can only have so many eggs in one basket in regards to like full potential of the cannabis flower, but like are any of these thirty percenters that you guys know of like actually having followed like a good terpene percentage with it, or you know like is it really getting both out of it, or is it you're kind of getting one or the other for the most part? I have a popular and unpopular opinion to to say about that, which is that essentially I do. Uh, I'm going to say up front that I do agree with the, not just idea, but like the, the empirical studies that relate to like the entourage effect and that sort of a thing. But at the same time, I think that we shouldn't 
also used as a minimization of the uh, obvious potency of like THC and uh, you know those sorts of cannabinoid um, pharmacologies, right? It's the main one for a reason. I mean, we've bred it for this long and select b- before we even knew how to test for it. When they started testing, they're like, oh, the main thing in here that gets you high is THC. Raphael Mishulam, or even maybe some argue a guy earlier in the US synthesized it in like the 40s or 60s, whenever it was first discovered, but it was a large amount in the psychoactive cannabis plant. So it's something that we've known has had the effect of that people chase and desire in cannabis. Uh, but to answer your question, Kyle, like I don't test my plants personally, but I've seen like similar plants. Like I'm growing Donnie Burger right now. And uh, I see the testing from Mitten Canico. One of their highest testing plants is the Han Solo Burger. I think it's hit 40%. And it was like 38% cannabinoids and maybe like two. I don't know if they even have to do terpene testing. But from what I know about that plant, it's it stinks. It's loud. Maybe it's like one or 2% uh, terpenes. But like at the other end of the spectrum, I have Brandon sent me some lab tests of his original early, early Limerilla before he was even calling it Limerilla. It was said GG4 across to um, Black Lime Reserve. And one of his phenos was like 18% cannabinoids and then 12% terpenes. It's the highest right. terpene test I've ever seen still to this day. Then the other pheno was like 26 and 6% terpenes. So 26 cannabinoids, 6% terpenes. So the overall basket both times was in like the, you know, between 30 and 35% if you combine them, but it just, the one was way terpier and the other one had more cannabinoids. So I do think that there might be like a, a basket, so to speak, like a, a upper threshold, like how much of it can actually be cannabinoids, right? Like there's some chlorophyll, there's some water content in there at a certain point. So the limit, the limit is going to be contingent on the carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, oxygen that can be utilized inside of those reactors, because that is what is combining all of the chemical constituents like but when they test the actual product i want to say this like how dry they get it some of this really really bone dry dispensary bud think about there's less water content so the thc content is an actual higher percentage of the overall bud another grow is jumping in right now but like so when you're seeing some of these 40 percent or even 45 is the highest i've ever seen on a legal lab test in a a permitted state california i think michigan has had a few over 40 percent plus creeping up to that 45 you think about that and it's like, that's almost as high as hash. Hash is like 60%. And until you do a concentrate, like a BHL, you're not going to get higher than like 70 or 80% pushing up to synthesizing like nineties and almost hundred percent you can do with uh, distillation or whatever. But when you smoke some of that flour, or at least when I have, it actually tastes like hash. The 45 percenter that I had, it tasted like hashish. The flour itself was so resinous. And I looked at it and I'm like, maybe it's bullshit, but maybe there is something to the number. So well, I wanted to bring it back up. I think that's actually a really excellent point. That's kind of what I was what I was trying to point out was that, um, or that I was going to say after you had said that, which is that uh, obviously you have 100%. It can't be over 100%. So some something has to go down and something has to go up. And um, you know, I don't actually know off the top of my head how much of the you know the I guess you would call like the structural material um, you know oh, okay. goes into it. But like, um, obvi- you know, obviously, like that is a, a massive is going to have a massive effect on, on on that, and that you can't really mitigate that too much. I feel like, although that might be something we can attack in the in the future. I think it's partially um, mitigated by trimming leaf, like uh, any if if there's any fan leaf, getting as much of that out of there as possible because it tests lower, and then stem. 
some of pe the people will remove more of the stem out of their ounces and pounds that they're pushing to the market than other people might just be lazier and not maybe breaking the buds part and pulling the stems out. So their overall percentages might be slightly higher just by doing those little things. But I wanted to give a chance as he just arrived uh, a few minutes ago, Noah the Groa. I want to give you a, a second to, to uh, let the people know where they can find you. Hey, what's up? Yeah, sorry, I'm a little bit late here, family stuff, but uh, yeah. I'm Noah DeGroa uh, with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. And yeah, happy to be here. How's it going, everyone? Doing good. We we're talking a little bit about the uh, rising cannabinoid percentage recently. We've talked about a whole bunch of stuff tonight, breeding and things like that. But I'm curious. Um, I think you're, I don't know if I want to reveal your location, but I know you're in a place that has legal testing, right? And uh, I'm curious because I know you grow your own and maybe you don't go to dispensaries too much. But have you noticed that um, the numbers have creeped up from like, I think 25 used to be high, then 30 was high, now 35% is high. So have you seen the trend of the THC continuing to rise even up into like the 40% where you're at? Yeah, yeah. 40% uh, a little on the higher end, but yeah, 32, 33, 34, 35, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I go to the dispensaries once in a while to just check it out. And uh, sometimes I get clones there and stuff, but uh yeah, no, I'm in Washington State. Um, I'm a medical grower. Um, I've had a medical card for almost 10 years, maybe even over 10 years now, I don't forget. But yeah, no, I've definitely noticed the difference. You know, the one thing I'll say is that I've noticed a lot of it is that it just seems like there's a lot of like strains that are really similar. Um, it just seems like a lot of the older school stuff that's like more original, it's kind of a little harder to find. It seems a lot of bread stuff. And uh, it seems like everything's kind of getting bred towards the THC stuff for, you know, obvious reasons. But it just seems like sometimes like the flavor... You know, terpene and all that stuff kind of gets a little back door because everybody does want to get that high THC, but, uh, you know, I get it, so. Yep. Kyle, I saw your uh, message there in chat. I don't know if uh, you have to get going right now, but it's at around 8-ish. I think we're coming up to the 5 o'clock hour out here on the West Coast, so I think it's about 8 o'clock over there for you. So I don't know if you want to give your final thoughts and shout-outs before you have to get going. Yeah, yeah, if you don't mind. Uh, well, I appreciate everyone being here. I, I learned a lot, a lot of stuff about, you know, what Brandon was talking about. Um, some of the stuff I was kind of lost to. So, um, but I'm sure we'll learn more as we move forward. Um, yeah, for anybody that uh, is interested, I do have my new seed drop coming out on the 29th at 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Um, that's, that'll be a big thing. You might want to look out for that. It goes you go pretty quick. Um, other than that, I do have, um, so I know I kind of posted about it. So I, I got some 1994 Northern Light seeds that I'm pretty excited about. And uh, so I will be using males finally, right? Um, uh, but I'm just going to keep that inbred and not play around with that. They've been growing up in New England for the last 30 years. So they're, I'm sure they're extremely hardy plants. Uh, so it'd be really cool to kind of use those to my advantage for the farms up here. And I just heard New Hampshire's coming legal soon. I got a friend that knows a governor. Uh, there's a guy up in Maine that's wealthy that knows the governor of New Hampshire because they're not legal yet right now at all. Uh, but I guess he's wanting to, it's just as long as it's set up right, which I'm, uh, and that's where I'm from. So essentially I'd like to go back there and do all that stuff. But, uh, but uh, so I had somebody send me some other seats too. So I have uh, DJ Short's uh, late 90s, 98 Blueberry, the original, which is what I've been searching for for like the last seven years. Uh, and an S1 of Strawberry Cough from Cushman. Uh, the actual cut so uh that and some other stuff that's uh acapulco gold i forget what else i put in there um, some of the original skunk so i got a bunch of cool stuff that i'm gonna self and or keep inbred and, and be releasing and share with you guys as well so i'm wicked excited about that because i'm sure um you know that's like where it all kind of began or really just popular stuff that where it began but um other than that i'll stop talking uh yeah you can find me on pure underscore breeding 
Uh, my website is pbreeding.com. And um, yeah, I appreciate you. Appreciate all you guys. I'm glad we still do this. And I'll see you Sunday. One question before you go uh, from sure. Smart Poker, because you have bred a lot around finding plants that are very non Hermy tendencies or like very, uh, you know, herm resistant. And they asked about how ethylene maybe plays into Hermes. So if you had any experience on ethylene and Hermes before you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the whole point is to share to everybody, right? So uh, this time around, yeah, so ethylene plays a huge role in regards to uh, female cannabis plants and knowing their gender. So, um, you know, like how humans have porous skin, well, cannabis plants are porous as well. And uh, as female cannabis plants grow, the ethylene is what makes them know they're female. So the whole point of making feminized seeds is to block those, uh, those pores. I might be using the wrong terminology, Matt, or whoever, uh, but it was just, just trying to paint the picture. But um, so what they do have now though, and I don't know if anybody's, maybe you guys have all heard of this, maybe you haven't. So there's a new product uh, that, or might be old product, but new to me that, uh, so, you know, the problem with STS is it's, it becomes really aggravating trying to spray every third day. Uh, especially if you have like a lot of plants, like it's a lot of product and like, you're like getting it everywhere. It's fucking dripping. And, and, and if you actually look at an M MSDS sheet, it's like not the best thing to be having in your house or wherever. Um, but they have a product called, and if you look it up, it's from hybrid tech, H Y B R I T E C H. And it's a one and done. So, um, I won't bring this up again, but whoever's listening, you might want to look into that. So they have a product, it's one and done. So you spray it once. I think it's right before the flip and that's it. And it's apparently does really well. I've had a, two close friends that's used it and they've got a lot of pollen off of their plants that are were stubborn, uh, which is the problem I have with doing a rock candy. She is extremely strong and rugged and does not like to turn. Uh, so this next round, I'm using that. So if you guys go online, it's Google HyberTech. You might be, uh, it's a little costly, but uh, it's, I highly suggest looking into that if you're curious about blocking ethylene. I don't know if that answered the question at all, but. No, I think that was very detailed and I'm, I'm glad that you offered that insight because I think usually there, when people are talking about ethylene, maybe talking about reversals uh, and maybe stress testing plants or even flipping plants to make feminized seeds, which is something you have experience with. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on that before you uh, ran out here. So I'm glad that you were able to share that. And yeah, uh, my best, uh, even my, my... I'm fine with plugging a product. If you use it, it works for you or your friends have used it. I don't think there's any, we're not like getting paid for these promotions. At least I'm not, I don't know about anybody else on the panel, but most of us are just here trying to share our genuine experience. So I can always say like, you know, it's fine to, if you feel like. No, I think you cut out. Is that just me? Okay. It'll be an accordion. No, I heard you. I thought I cut out. I was like, shit. <laughs> good to see you, Kyle. Good good to uh, welcome, Noah Ligrella. How are you guys doing? Yeah, man. My first time on uh, FaceTime. Loving it. So. And Jack's Jack. Jack, you, fro you froze after. Uh... It's okay and now we can't hear you. I know. That's my bad. That's my bad. My yeah. internet cut out. You guys all froze. And I was like, wait, that's me. If, if everybody else is frozen, <laughs> then I'm fucking uh, the one. So sorry about that, Kyle. Thank you so much. I, I didn't want to keep you on here too long because I know you said yeah, you could have had the, the best advice I can give anybody, and I'm sure from the last two years, or three, I don't even know where we're at now, two and a half years, two and three years, but uh, the best advice I can give anybody is when you're starting, if you if you have a seed lot that you're interested in growing and you want to breed with them, and I mean, this is just what I do. Everyone can do their own thing. And I, and I, and I, know, I know I do mess up on a lot of hype varieties because 
I just, they're just, they have intersex problems and I can't release that to the company because all that does is tarnish my brand. Uh, but I would basically start from seed and flower that thing in a solo cup. That's a good start for one. And if she survives that, she's a pretty strong girl and uh, do that in high heat. And if she can pass both those tests, then she's, I would consider it pretty much a pretty solid go for the market. Um, extreme heat and flower in a solo cup. Uh, those would be my two go-tos. So that's all I got. I love that, man. Hey, thank you for sharing that those tips because I think those are actually two of the most common things I've seen hurting people's plants. Uh, root binding, too small of a pot and or too hot of an environment. Uh, a lot of times new growers don't transplant soon enough and they don't have enough AC or uh, you know ventilation to circulate their grow environment to make things happy for the plant. So it's easy to get too hot and have their plants earn. For the second hour of the show, I'm actually thinking about dropping the Zoom link because we had so much success with people joining us uh, a few weeks back. And a lot of the panel members also agreed that they said they enjoyed that aspect of the show. I love the community aspect of the show, bringing the chat into the grip of the panel and you know having them ask questions or even just show off their garden. It was cool. Cheddar Bob did a great job. Smart Poker. Um, I think, uh, or Sourdies will change. Uh, so anybody who wants to jump in, I'm going to go ahead and copy and paste that link over to the thing and I'll, uh, pin it with the cheap home grow. So you can trust the link. But before I do that, I should give you guys a topic to talk about Spartans muted. So I'll tell him that. And then maybe he can, uh, hold the mic down. I got, a, I do the I got a topic we can step into. Go ahead. Okay. It's, um, Matthew Gates post. I always love Matthew Gates posts. But uh, the one recently where the the soil the plant soil feedback loop oh yeah was really intriguing to me because of my hypotheses or at least my question of when a plant's totally finished from flowering if you put uh, you know a start right in it is that root mass ready for a vegetative state of growth plant or not but that's beside the point the real uh, post was about um how a, a, a cabbage plant if correct me if i'm wrong cabbage plant but guy attacked got attacked by uh something i forget what it was and it, oh, affected it was uh, cabbage fly it was cabbage fly they were testing it with yeah and it, it affected the rhizosphere so that the next cabbage plant that entered that space was was already at a disadvantage right matthew basically yeah so why don't you uh, enlighten us just a little bit on that you can share yeah. screen too. Anybody can. I have it uh, set up right now. So multi-panel <coughs> participants sim simultaneously as possible. And we've got uh, two people, Hemp with GG and then Web Troll. I'm a little oh, nervous cool. about Web Troll, but Hemp with GG, I know. <laughs> I know yeah. with a name like that, but, we might blame you for... Uh... <laughs> but before we go, I would have thought the opposite, that the plant, if we got attacked by uh, a certain pest, it would it, like... Uh, activate its defenses making it better for the next plant but i was mistaken at least in that uh, particular uh, example well, my thought i think, both of, on there I think like, both of those things happen i think that okay yeah my thought process is when i see that outside that tells me that that plant's defenses were overtaken by that predator we'll call it and that i know that i want to change up when i plant there the next time only because whatever was in there was able to overtake that fucking variety of the time before. So I need to get some other biology in there. That's going to outcompete and destroy whatever that is. And then I can go back to my, that that's like the idea between crop, crop rotations and things. 
I like that. No other girl's got his hand up, so I want to give him a chance because uh, we can't see him over there. Uh, yeah, so I had a question, and um, I was going to bring it up in our group chat, and I'm going to anyways, but because there's some other growers that I'd like to hear their opinion on, but it's a pretty good question, I think. Well, I have a bunch of seeds, and um, I, I, I'm going to do a pheno hunt. I got some from uh, a few different people, and uh, I want to know what your guys' opinion are. What would your be your go-to if a new grower was asking you what light and what tent would you get for like a small area, like a two by four tent? And what light would you use for that? You know, cause I figure those are pretty basic starter kits for, you know, new growers. And, uh, I've never had any experience buying tents. I've never had any experience buying these small LED lights and you know, where else would I ask, but all you guys. So what's up? So I personally love, uh, I use a vivo sun, but I think it might be from China brand it doesn't really bother me too much about uh as much as like the light investment um coming over from there i, I got a local light timber grow lights does a great job they're out of san diego but most of the components i guess um if we're gonna get moral and ethical come from overseas so uh, it's just manufactured in the u.s but i think that's at least better than uh something the other light i would recommend is hlg if you um have a two by four you could throw a couple of uh you can get the 65 watt just to start, uh, get something vegging, get a plant growing. And then as you go, you know, next month, you can buy yourself another light or two. They're 100 watt maybe, or two extra 65 watts, depending on how much space you want to cover. And they have pretty actions on their website. Uh, you can also use Dr. MJ Coco's light calculator. He has tested a bunch of different grow lights, so he can tell you how much PPF you need for your grow space. So um, I definitely highly suggest that people go check out dr mj's um grow light calculator if they're um but there's so many good ones at this point uh it, it depends if you're looking at like a two by four it's a lot different than a four by four because you need double the light right so um there's tons of options but hlg is a brand i can get behind for sure and timber timber grow lights is another one i can get behind but i'm going to admit just hemp with gg into the room right now and uh, let anybody else on the panel answer that light question and tent question man i would look i don't know if they have that this size tent or not but i really like for one i use gorilla gorilla grow tents they have a light line which is cheaper than the regular line and i got i've got a two no a four by eight one of those and it, i can attest that that's a good tent but if i were to buy another tent i would probably look i, I love the look of the um what are those inline fans that are so badass ac infinity ac infinity they have a tent line with white walls instead of the reflective gray walls. I love the white walls, man. So I would probably lean towards that. And then uh, I would, like Jack was saying with the HLG, that's, I would lean towards, you know, what I know. I know those guys, pretty, I know the owner of that company. So, um, you know, I'm biased towards it. I, I just know what I'm getting there. So I would get one of their light. They have uh, their common light is like a Scorpion Diablo, but that's for like a five by five. So they make this light that's like half of that. I think it's about 300 watts and then I'd have to pull it up on their website to make sure it covers the space that you have, but I'm pretty sure they have one that covers a two by four and I would just get one of those and rock it out. So we got hemp with GG showing us a tent with led lights. It's looking pretty good. What a light and tent are you using over there? Hemp with GG. Welcome to the show. Thank you for Thank joining you us. For having me. I'm using the medic pro uh, X spectrum. It's that one with the screen on the front. That's pretty cool. So can you adjust your uh, color spectrum? Yeah, it gives you some control. You can deepen the reds and you can turn on uh, IR, UV. I and mean, obviously there's a dimmer and a timer, but these are uh, blue gelatos in a 5x5 five five 
six weeks in the flower. How many watts is it pulling from the wall? Uh, 880. 880. I think it's 880 at 2.8. And do you dim it at all or do you run full? I run full power in here. I probably shouldn't because I did see some, some light stress early in flower, which is why I raised my light a little bit. I should have just dimmed it and left it at the height, but I can't complain with the results six weeks in, so I'll take it. I will say my experience, you can stress your plant out with a little bit too much light, but I do think it still ends up giving you more returns. They might not look as pretty. If you run it a little bit less intense, I think you can get maybe better looking, but also uh, quantitatively less yield because you're actually running less light, but there is an optimum point, obviously. And that uh, depends on if you have, like I have really high elevated CO2, so I can run a shit ton of light. Um, I'm curious um, if uh, Brandon has any thoughts on the tent and lighting brand. Uh, question i know that you're using photon text branding you're still muted over there but uh do you have any thoughts on led lights maybe he's away so i'll pass it over to the american one and ask uh are you running with any leds right now and uh do you use tensile i have i have my leds all in bed right now um yeah, I wouldn't know what to. I would uh, direct them to the cocoa, you know, Dr. MJ Cocoa for cannabis, uh, light. Yeah, uh, calculator. calculator. That's the word. Yeah, calculator. Now, hemp, you and just yeah. showed us, a, it looked like a blue. Was that an infrared or uh, what? what these, are the, spectrum? these are the UVIR. Dr. MJ Cocoa is actually one that got me this light to test on my YouTube. He also got me That's the, pretty cool, dude. The full so I work pretty so, close with uh, Dot himself. So I see a little discoloration. I think it's because uh, of the light was like yeah, the plant this, sucked it all up too. That's quick, what he was right? saying earlier. He ran it full blast, yep. and that he had to move it up a little bit of light stress. Yeah, this corner for some reason it seems to only be in this corner really. And this was the first one to kind of show some early onset of light stress early in flower, but definitely some tips and stripes. So they got about two weeks left, so I wasn't going to back down. But while we're on the LED question here, if you don't mind. Uh, I'd like to know the opinion on running deep red and IR 12 hours in flower because you get a lot of different opinions about internodal spacing and shade avoidance. Nah, fuck it. Do it. If you have the right ratios, do it all 12 hours. You're getting the Emerson effect. It's 100% worth it. Okay, um, see, that's what I did. Wasn't sure. Do you want to remind us what the Emerson effect is? So when you combine deep red and far red, which most people use 660 nanometers, which is just like if you look at that little spectrum he's showing, the, the right side of it where you're starting to get those reds, um, deep red and far red. So you get 660 and then usually people have like a 720 or 730. And if I was just to use a 720 red, it might give me like a small boost of photosynthesis. People, there are scientists that have measured this. Emerson is the person who first discovered it by shining single spectrums of light at plants and recording how much they photosynthesized. 720 or 730, whatever the deep red, was actually very little photosynthesis. Maybe we'll call it a two out of 10 on its own. But then the 660 is like a nine out of 10, right? So you think like nine plus two, you get like 11. Uh, well, what actually ends up happening when you combine those two spectrums together, you get what's known as the Emerson effect. So instead of being nine plus two, it's basically like uh, 10 plus three, essentially. So you get like a 13. They're, they're much better combined together than they are on themselves alone. So my thought is people use the... Um, basically a trick uh, to make their plants be able to get an extra hour of light, which is running just the 730 or the far red, which is a flowering initiation thing. 
for the last 15 minutes after lights are off and before the lights come on, that allows the plants to basically like go to sleep faster and wake up sooner so that they can photosynthesize for an extra hour per day and still be in flower. So instead of running 12-12, they can run 13 hours of light on and 11 off. I personally don't choose to do that, but it's a possibility. Um, I, I think that the Emerson effect is more of the beneficial thing. It just allows you to get more yield as far as grams per watt, uh, grams per square foot, et cetera, yeah. in my experience. And honestly, I think it creates much better phenotypical uh, expression. My buddy who ran just white 3,500K Cobbs from Timber Grow Lights, which is a company I use, had great results, but then he added blues and reds to spectrum, like just small amounts. Uh, the majority is still 3,500K or like predominantly white, but just a little bits like you see on uh, hemp with GG's light. It's predominantly white. If you pan up to the light hemp from down here, it's like 90% white. You see some reds in between a bunch of white diodes and then a few strips of blue, right? And then there's even red in the blue stripes, but it's almost all white for the most part with the little buffs of red and blue. And I think that's actually, in my opinion, the best light spectrums that we can get indoors currently uh, with high efficiency. You what could argue this, this light again. I'm sorry. They're asking in chat. Like the model of this light. Hemp would have to answer that. I do not know. I'm sorry. What was that? The model of the light. It's a uh, Medic Bro X Spectrum. That's a, is that a photon tech? Medic Grow is its own light. They do the full oh, yeah. as well. So Medic Grow is fairly new, but I put a lot of it on my channel because, like I said, they sponsored me and everything. Well, they honestly are pretty aggressively marketing. Um, from when I looked at Dr. MJ's all this testing, the cost per like watt, they were very like way under everybody else. And yeah, the they cost have the same efficiency. Cost for micromole, like on the fold eight, is like 30 cents for a micromole. And it's one of the best car maps I've ever seen in a four by four. That's over here, but the lights are off. If, if I had a big enough grow space, I would honestly be growing with those lights. Um, and whenever I move up to a larger space, that's what I'm going to be considering because they have such a uniform spectrum, a uniform spread, a great spectrum and a great cost. Uh, so, and they're going to last a long time. I mean, it, it's beautifully constructed oh, yeah. that I'd never even seen that one with the screen before with the spectrum. Yeah, readout. Doc hasn't covered this one yet. I was covering this one and he's covering the easy eight, which the easy eight is one of the best five by five car maps I've seen. So they just keep coming out with glamours. I'm happy to see it because it pushes everybody else's uh, price down essentially. And it makes everything more affordable overall, or they kind of get moved out of the market and hopefully they continue to sell it at a good cost. I hope they're not yeah. just selling at loss right now to the, gouge people out of the market though that'd be unfortunate but i think uh for the most part they're just trying to get themselves some uh position in the space they want to get brand recognition they want to get in people's grow rooms and, and uh, trust within their brand yeah no doc definitely gained my trust when you show me those smart maps when you have like 800 on the sides of micro molds and a four by four that's just crazy it is important to remind the growers out there that if you are cranking an LED light like this, you got to make sure everything else is dialed in. So your nutrients, waterings, uh, you know, like if you're in organic soil, you got to make sure you have a big enough pot. I have tried growing in as small of a pot as possible as an experiment, and uh, you can starve them out really quickly if you're in too small of a pot and depending on the size of the plant and things like that. But um, in or organics or in hydroponics, like Dr. MJ recommends the high frequency fertigation in cocoa, where you can basically supply all the nutrients that the plants needs whenever it needs it. It's got plenty of water all the time, plenty of oxygen all the time in the root zone. Uh, but I think the similar uh, growth can be happening in organics with like an earth box or just a, you know, I mean, does a great job in organics as well. So 
like somebody asked me like, what's the PPFD that I need for organics? And I said, it shouldn't be different in organic versus synthetic, in my opinion. Because Brandon, I don't think you're like, you know, not cranking lights over there, right? You, you've got HPSs in the greenhouses, you've had LEDs, high intensity in your indoor setups. Um, organic seems to be able to handle the lighting just fine, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I haven't had any issues as far as lighting. We use pretty low level lights um, as far as wattage and energy consumption in the uh, R&D box. We have the HPS lights, which help mitigate some of the, the issue with the cold during the colder months. And uh, it works, uh, you know, the actual molecule that the plant's taking up doesn't, the plant doesn't care if it comes from like a synthetically derived or, or a natural, uh, the, uh, from the process of natural decomposition of soil organic matter, uh, because the chem, the, the actual chemical has to be, the molecule has to be in a, a form that's available. So, um, the the difference though i think is with the uh synthetically derived minerals uh, uh nutrients i think that they have some antagonistic properties that can be introduced into the soil systems like uh different types of chloride um and different types of other chemicals that can be antagonistic and then you have like things like the edta chelation and well, I, what i've read is that when that chemical actually gets into the plant too with the molecule and for the plant to be able to utilize it, it has to kind of switch out for something else for that. Um, Cause it's bonded. Um, and there has to be like a conversion. So sometimes it'll take away something else. It, if it's, even though it's getting in there, it might be switching it out internally. That makes sense. It does. Um, I'm curious for hemp with GG. Um, what is the medium that you're growing in over there? Uh, fox farm. I usually start off with a happy frog and a solo cup, and then I just go straight ocean forest. I don't feed in beds, but what's funny is when I feed in flower, I actually follow Dr. Coco's feeding chart. I just do a, a feeding every other watering. So, yeah, I'm soil following a cocoa feeding chart. It's a little weird, huh? It's all the same EC, same nutrients. Well, so. Fox farm is kind of built to run out. I think. And that's why they sell nutrients, right? They, they kind of sell a soil that's like a, almost like a pro mix, but slightly amended. It runs out and then you have to buy their bottled line and uh, continue. Yeah. On, so I use GH nutrients like on the schedule, but yeah, Fox Farm pretty much just lasted you your beds and then you have to feed in flour. But these girls really shaped up nicely. Listen. They're looking nice and chunky. Uh, how many times did you top this? Is this like a main line setup you've got going on? kind of a modified manifold i just topped it down from five to three removed one and then retopped the four i left i'm liking the clean bottom i think that helps a lot with the airflow a lot of times people um don't i don't think that it needs to be stripped necessarily uh that low 100 percent of the time but i do think that when people do that they tend to have a little bit better airflow through their plants and it allows uh less chances for the molds and mildews and things that might creep up. Even insects, I think uh, if you keep a cleaner bottom of your plant are less likely to come after you. Short skirt, I like it. I think it looks great. Thank you. I tried to get like a two to one ratio, two canopy, one leg, but 
some of them like this one. It's a lot of leg, but it'll make up for it on top. They're looking nice and chunky, man. It's uh, always great to have a listener from the chat that I recognize come up onto the show. We've got Web Troll, who I'm still not sure about that one. I messaged, I said in the chat, uh, anybody who wants to jump in, like Web Troll, if you identify yourself by your screen name, I might be more apt to let you in. But until I know who the actual person behind the YouTube is and am familiar with, I'm not going to let them come on and potentially do some silly stuff. But Clay Pipes, STL, says, uh, at Jack Greenstock, thoughts on Fluence. Uh, Fluence Bio, I think is what they're calling themselves now, or Fluence Bioengineering, is a LED company. I think that they make some of the more efficient lights on the market. I do think that their price is uh, higher than a lot of the stuff that we were just talking about, whether it's the Metacro or even like Mars Hydro and some of the other like HLGs and stuff are less expensive than Fluence. So, uh, But they are great. I think Fluence is one of the first to put out the bar style lighting with the red boost on there. And uh, I, I would consider them to be kind of innovative in the LED space and making a quality product despite a high price tag. I think every grower I've talked to who has a successful crop, usually ROIs their whole light first, maybe second crop. After that, you're in the green for the most part. And the if you properly set up a LED facility, the amount of HVAC that you're saving and the amount of light that you're saving to run the same amount of space uh, is just, or to get even a larger yield in the same space, uh, it pays it pays you to do it properly. And I think we're going to continue to see people switching over. I'm hearing a lot less uh, of the old. When I first started uh, on the Instagram, people, it was a lot more, I'd say like 50-50. Like people were still pushing the HPS and some people still do push it and there's nothing wrong with it. But I think a lot more people now are kind of uh, seeing that LED is going to be the sort of at least way of the future for the next however many years, five to 10 years until something else comes around and tries to dethrone it. But it's, it's going to be tough. The technology just keeps getting better. We use my man, Ken and Co. We have them right down the center of our HPS and fucking love the uh, Vipers. They're hanging really, really high. <laughs> the ones that we have, they're way the fuck up there, but nice spread on big, big fan. It's amazing when you get those high, um, they're like almost made for like a greenhouse truss or whatever, like uh, those high canopy lights. It's like a cannon. It literally, when you turn it on, if you don't have lights or uh, sunglasses on underneath it, you look up, it feels like you're looking at like a cannon or like the sun almost like it is like blinding. So uh, be very careful with these modern lights because they will torture your eyes if you're not careful. It's one thing I will say, like uh, Shane from Migro or Migro, I see in his videos, he tests all these LEDs and he's never wearing glasses. And I'm like, it might just be a few minutes or whatever, but with those reflective walls and all that stuff, I'm like, dude, and not to, you know, knock anybody for his age or ageism, but I know with age is when your eyes tend to deter deteriorate even more. So um, I, I would tend to want to preserve them. I like that Hemp with GG's got his in his hands right here. Um, I, the green throws me off a little. I just used black polarized sunglasses or whatever, but any sort of eye protection is better than none, in my opinion. Uh, I like the whole saying, don't grow blind. I think it's uh, method seven. It might be their like hashtag to promote their, I'll stand uh, behind their glasses, grow glasses. Too, man. I've had them for fucking six, seven years, dropped them a million times and they're still kicking. And if you ever do get a break, I, I think it's a lifetime warranty on, I'm not sure, but I have a couple people tell me they've sent them back and they just send you new glasses. I got to definitely agree with you there. And uh, of course, when I was younger, like an idiot, 
I mean, I've spent a lot of my last 10, 11 years in a grow room with, you know, 5,000 watt HPS set lights. And uh, I didn't really notice it much for the first year or two, but man, I can't even go. I have, I keep, I have prescription glasses. So I have a pair of prescription sunglasses that are just for my room. Cause you know, I probably spend 15 hours a week in there, but man, I'll tell you right now, if I go in that room, even for like two minutes without my lights, I'm like, Whoa, my eyes hurt. So I would, definitely tell anybody that's going in the room without lights get a pair of sunglasses for sure yeah I'm not sure how people get used to it that's what a lot of people tell me they're used to it maybe you shouldn't be used to it i forget on this point of lights did we talk about um uh, the american one reminded me that i had posted about that far red light ratio on tomato plant uh video or a uh, post or like um they were testing red light, 650 nanometers versus far red at 730. And I guess um, uh, they can induce uh, shade avoidance syndrome. Did we talk mm-hmm. about that? Did we talk about that? I forget. Um, I know it's actually been looked at in cannabis as well. Uh, yep. Bruce Bugby's lab has done research on that specific thing with cannabis. So I think it's not to like poo-poo tomato growing and, and red lights, but the 660 to 730 conversation does come up in the shade avoidant conversation. That's why I said it earlier when I was talking about his light, the ratio matters. You want more 660, less 730. So if you get too much 730, you're going to get uh, shade avoidance, which is a stretch response. So your plant thinks that it's in the shade. It starts growing like crazy to get out of the shade. Um, and it happens with cannabis as well. It's a, a under canopy plant response. Uh, cannabis for a long time has been grown under trees and in shady spots. So it'll try and grow taller to get better sun. And that happens within your canopy underneath the grow light as well. Um, but yeah, if you get the wrong ratio, like if, if you had too high of a ratio of 730 and not enough 660 or 650, whatever that study was, um, then you'll start to see tons of stretch, but I have not had, I've actually seen less stretch by running a mix of 660 and 730. Uh, I, I do think that it might help the plants finish maybe a couple of days sooner, but I haven't done clone side by side to say like 3,500 K finishes a week slower than when I run the flowering initiation stuff. Well, actually right, adding to the, adding to the complexity uh, in the post, I just see that it was six days ago. So maybe we didn't get the chance to talk about it, but basically they were testing um, uh, caterpillars, spider mites, aphids, and white flies. And apparently um, if you had the, I think it was the red light more than the far red light, uh, actually, uh, increased their, um, uh, their damage profile. And that was associated with, um, that stress response, essentially the plant dumps, uh, because long-term is going to become really bad disadvantageous, right? Lots of plants do it. I didn't feel like you were poo-pooing tomato. Um, shade avoidance is, uh, well-documented for a long time, but, um, Basically, they dump resources into growth, uh, but that's at the expense of defense. And I guess that's what, uh, that's just an interesting concept to consider that I certainly don't always consider, but uh, I really should. So I just added uh, Sergeant Bone, who said they don't want to share video. They're uh, joining up, though. We also added Crack Babies DWC, who I believe uh, just popped some Amy Aces. Welcome, Crack Babies. Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? You guys hear me? I can. I think this is the second time we've right. had you. So welcome back. Hello, hello. Hey, hey, T.A.O. How's it going, man? Still alive over here. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did some toppings there actually yesterday on Amy Aces. 
she was on her fourth, uh, fifth and a half node there. So I, I topped her up and I even cloned the top. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Dude, uh, how old are those plants? Cause I, I, yeah, it wasn't that long ago that I got them out. Well, you can see them live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's live right now there. So uh, yeah, uh, let me go see there. I can't remember. Um, well, I popped them the day I got the day I got oh, okay. them. Okay. So yeah. Oh, this is your <laughs> you're like wise cam. We're we're looking at the actual footage of the plants right now. Yeah, right. They, those are my my phones there. I got that tip from someone in chat there a few weeks ago. Well, a few months ago, really, about uh, using your old phones as uh, as vid as Wi-Fi cams in your tent. It's oh, a, yeah, it's a, that's fancy. Yeah, that's a, that's it's smart. an app. It's an app that runs on your on your I guess your your master phone or whatever, and I can access it from the web too. So that's a web feed of of the of that camera. Well, one of them, anyways. The other one's a, a Wi-Fi cam, like a home nanny cam, and the other one's a security cam through a live USB uh, capture cam. There, I got a bunch of stuff going on. There. Hey, that's cool, man. It's uh, yeah. definitely awesome to see. You've got. Uh, Amy Aces in the early stages there in DWC and DWC is fast. If you know what you're doing, Tao. So he got them, cracked them and they're off to the races. So it's cool to see that you clone those tops. Whenever I clone the top, I've had the most uniform growth. It almost continues to grow like the seed does. And any other clone I take will never tend to have that consistency. So I'm uh, curious to see how yours will work out there for you. Yeah, it should be pretty cool there. I'm, uh, I'm it's pretty hopeful. Like I, I did it this morning and uh, she's still like full turger pressure you know what i mean she's not all limp or nothing so it's looking good i always get nervous when they go limp for a little bit i'm like oh fuck they're dead and sometimes i'll bounce back the next day or whatever uh, i also want to give a, a second to sergeant bone who isn't going to share a camera or anything but i just want to say welcome to the first time to the cheap home grow panel it's cool to have uh somebody that i recognize from the chat uh jump on for the first time so welcome thank you thank you can you hear me I can't hear you. How are you doing? Oh, oh great. Oh, it's an honor to be on with you guys. I've been listening, oh, geez, since very first episode, believe it or not. I haven't missed one. Um, so way, way back with Shane. Well, thank you for your support. I know that there are actually a handful of people out there like that, our super fans, man. That's, that that's cool. I didn't want to share a video. I'm uh, still in red state, so... Hey, mad respect. We uh, got love for all the people in all the states. I know uh, we don't want to dox you because the red states are getting less and less. So uh, we'll eventually know when somebody says they're in a red state because there's only going to be one soon and then all 50 will be green. So, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, so, there, there's only like a handful, right? Isn't there like five? Like there's, there's like less than 10 left. I believe you're correct. I'll, I'll look for a map. But uh, yeah, not. I'm curious. What, what are you growing over there, Sergeant Bone? Uh, at the moment, I'm actually uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. I, 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 uh, I lost my outdoor and I, I uh, doing my uh, harvest. So I got my rooms uh, in dry land. So I actually had some of Kyle's stuff, believe it or not. I, I finished off his uh, rock candy and uh, his breeder cake. Nice. Yeah. How, how are those smelling over there? Oh, I, I, this is the second run. I, I've never had a run I'm really happy with. <laughs> I always say I can do better. I can do better. This run I was really, really happy with, uh, especially the, the wedding cake, the breeder's cake. 
That was really impressive. But that rock candy, that that's some high, that's some potent stuff there. That'll that'll get you talking to yourself. I've heard good things. That uh comes from I think some of the alien genetics uh, material that he worked with. So really cool to see that you're going Kyle stuff. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear that. He left about eight o'clock. Here's the yeah. Uh, I, I I did see him. I saw him on. It was nice to see him. So this is pretty crazy. It's it's showing the uh, state regulated cannabis programs like the dark green over here, like California, Nevada, Oregon. These all have either a medical or rec. And uh, the states that are like white, I think are the only ones that still it says no public cannabis access program. Uh, so most of them have CBD slash low THC program access. That's that lighter green, even like Texas. But I've heard some mixed things about Texas because there's been some like over enforcement on like some hemp stuff or Delta eight getting regulated and things like that. But comprehensive medical program is these, uh, I'm sorry if anybody in the audience is colorblind, because I know I do remember a few people have mentioned that in the past, but this uh, color here, you can see a lot of states like even North Dakota, South Dakota have some medical program, Uh, Ohio even, you know, a state that I grew up in, which I never actually would have thought would go legal in any sense. Uh, Throwing it all the way back to Tara Wilson. She was from Ohio. I think she was like down in Cincinnati, down here, and she would drive all the way up here to the mitten to uh, make a commute to go hang out with the Michigan Bros Grow Show crew. So just amazing. Now she's professionally working in the cannabis industry in uh, Michigan, which moving up that scale has adult medical use regulated program and uh, the darkest of the dark. And then this is adult use, but no medical program, which I don't think any state is currently at that point. But I do hypothesize at least one of these uh, final, I think it's, uh, you know, final three that have nothing. I think one of them might just go straight to adult use because they see it's a, a bigger market. If they're just going for the taxes and they don't want to be like, oh, it's medical. And so, like some of them truly feel like there is no medical benefit. So they're just going to treat it like alcohol or tobacco, like a flavored intoxicant in a way. So uh, it's, this is amazing. Like in my opinion, it's an amazing thing. It hasn't been done perfectly, but it's cool to see how far it's come because yeah, it but was not that green, not too long. Some ago. of those, some of those, uh, Rec and adult use uh, still can't grow, unfortunately, legally anyway. <laughs> and some are trying I to will. make that more and more of a yes. know, reality. Isn't that yeah, right? Well, that would be a good map to see what's like, who can actually grow and how much. I'll say this, the, the penalties at least, like in Ohio, right. they won't even prosecute it now because they have a medical program. Like so instead of going to jail for 20 years, you might get a fine, which is like a huge. So even if you can't grow, like, okay, you, it's right. not ideal, but keep pushing. Do it like the people in Michigan, be the thorn in the side, uh, be the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, like show up to the Capitol, be peaceful, be sensible, be logical, share your information. They didn't know all the information. They clearly weren't informed about the medical caregiver program and how it was truly helping people. It's not just some scam to, you know, make a bunch of people ri- like it really is a lot of people in Michigan, a lot of people in California that are compassionately growing. They have overages. They can make their money either in a different business entirely. They might be a, a tradesperson. They might have a different career entirely. And cannabis is something they do on the side as a hobby to help people. Some of them, it's their full-time gig. And all they do is grow for people that can't grow for themselves. And uh, most of them are providing it to, or for free or just at the cost that it, you know, costs them to reimburse for the electricity or the nutrients. All of them all are of free. Them are providing it for cheaper than the dispensaries are. All of them. Oh, that's, that's a fact. And better, in my opinion, better quality because yeah. you know what your consumer wants. You get to build a relationship. 
they say, oh, I like this type more. I like that type more. This oil worked better for me. And that one was too strong. And uh, you can start giving them different varieties and choices. And like the freedom that that allows the patient to caregiver connection is something that I don't think you'll personally ever see in the recreational market and even like the legal medical market going through a dispensary. A lot of the times people, for me, for example, I used to buy stuff from a dispensary and like deadhead OG. I bought an eighth, fell in love with it because it helped me sleep. I went back, bought like the remaining two ounces they had. It never came back. So I was just like, fuck, like that deadhead OG was the only one that helped me sleep for like years. And I just fawn over it. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll grow. And like, you know, get my own fucking seeds and you can grow the deadhead OG if that's what you want. And that's the the beauty of, you know, giving the control to the people and, and empowering them, even doing but shows the like this. The, it's simple. It's a simple thing is the lawmakers don't even know that. They don't even know that, you know, and but the, there's good news here in Michigan. You know, we've made it such an up, uprising, basically, that uh, there's going to be a lobby date on Tuesday. And, then, you know, they're going to actually learn all these things. So there's a lot that of went viral. <laughs> I was seeing that through like non-cannabis related social media accounts that, the lady in Michigan, her compassionate speech, I can't think of her name right now off the top of my head, but uh, that's Susan, Susan Fisher out of the Flint. Susan, yeah. So that, that type of, that's what I was saying a few episodes back. It's like, I hate to say this, we, we're not like leaning our entire thing on the backs of medical patients, but getting those stories in front of lawmakers, they have hearts. They're human beings. Even if they have lobbies telling them one thing, when you have somebody sitting in front of you basically crying compassionately opening up their heart saying like, this is what's helping me. This is what I need. And this is what's been working. Why are you going to change this? Why are you going to deny me access? It's powerful. And it, it, that message echoed and shook and it's going to be heard in Oklahoma and in California and all around the world. Those videos, I think are some of the best uh, arguments for why we need to have exactly what you have in Michigan. And we've had here in California, it's extremely important to, and like Tao said, to give people the right to grow. Because even if it's decriminalized and the penalties are smaller, some people will not do it until it's fully legal. They're not going to do it until they can't risk their kid or, or their job or whatever it is. They will not do it until the word of the law says, I'm legally allowed to grow maybe one plant, five plants, six plants, four, whatever the hell it is. Get that foot in the door. We all need the right to grow in every state. This is the rah-rah cannabis hour with Jack Greenstock. Uh, riled up. I, I agree, Jack, man. I'm in Canada, so like we got it like countrywide. So it'd be nice to see you guys get it too. There. What, so what about Manitoba? I knew that there was a big, big uh, sticking point. I heard that they couldn't grow in Manitoba for a while, but then there was like the whole Toba grown group. Has that been resolved yet? Can Manitoba grow? Good question. I'm in Quebec. <laughs> Same problem. There you go. Hey, man, ACMPR, so we... man. You know, I don't, I didn't mess around I love that when program. I saw that. For the people and it's that don't funny. Know. Because I got the license, and then right the day I got it, there was a big announcement. The court overthrew that law, and don't worry, you can grow four again. So it's like, oh, well, all right. But still, I can grow more. I can grow ACMPR 25. ACMPR gives you a lot more freedom, yeah. I know oh, people that have like hundreds or even thousands plant count if they have like a good uh, preparation or like a, a lawyer that advocates for them. Yeah, well, just the license itself. It starts at 25 and go up to 400, 490 plants. It's like, whoa, that's, that's a lot of plants. <laughs> It's respectable. I mean, some people do have to make concentrate or eat the raw leaf or blend it into their smoothies. And I, I know somebody that like they would literally take their entire plant, strip it for the leaves, uh, blend the leaves and then put it in ice cubes. And they'd use those ice cubes in their smoothie. And it like completely improved a bunch of their health and uh, issues that they're having. So wow. there's so many different ways to use and grow the plant that we might all think like, oh, yeah, four plants is plenty or 25 is plenty or 100. Is plenty. But depending on how you grow, um, I think the whole plant out thing is a little bit silly, but. 
it's definitely important to advocate for more if you can. I know it doesn't often work this way, but um, I definitely feel like even logistically, if you allow people to grow themselves and you allow people that community to to sort of foster it, I feel like it increases, it even increases the, um, I mean, we're all, I mean, a lot of people are big on the competitive nature of um, the marketplace, you know, or whatever degree that is kind of like even my own work, like, I strive to be better than a Google search. It's like why piracy of uh, media, you know, is sort of like, you know, there are these selection pressures for big organizations um, to just be better than was what is literally free for people to get. Maybe in some cases, it's, in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily legal or desirable, but like that is still a reality that you should compete with. And personally, I would rather see these organizations that are, I mean, if any organization is going to be able to uh, levy all those advantages, it would be a highly moneyed one. It would be one that's um, that you know. Where I'm just talking about one section of the of the greater marketplace, right? There's also craft growers and that sort of a thing, as well. Um, and, and but like, I just feel as though the standards are going to be lowered in a lot of ways if you don't allow for that little level of um, competitiveness if that makes sense i am not a i agree the craft has has to exist because if Mm -hmm. you just allow like the craft has to exist like the the high quality market has to be there or else like you're saying the big money group might just only grow one type of thing exactly the quality selection for people that need that variety but i know it's uh, 545 and i want to let spartan jump out before we uh, continue these thoughts because he's got to get running over to the michigan bros grow show and take care of his dogs and get himself some water and maybe refill his tray and do all that good stuff um, one thing just to piggyback off of Matt there is that's kind of what here in Michigan, that's kind of what's going, I believe is going on, um, with this push from this lobby group to push this legalization or this legislation through, it eliminates that upper tier, it eliminates that craft market. It takes away where everybody knows where to get the good weed at. So they're <laughs> taking that away so that they can continue to grow their mids and uh, people <laughs> will come by it that's vindicating to hear <laughs> but anyways yep thanks guys awesome uh, hanging and i love these episodes when we bring people up i love seeing people's gardens and uh good job in your garden there have i really like i really like your plant always imagine you with your beard on fire <laughs> i'll keep it trimmed up now so that doesn't happen again hopefully <laughs> you sound spartan see you guys oh, inspired love you care, everybody girl love uh, thank you for joining us Later, bro. I always enjoy these uh, episodes as well when we bring the people up. And for the people who don't know already, you can find him at Spartan Grown or email him at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. He can also be found at Mitten Canico, where he grows commercially over in uh, Michigan. They've had a spotlight recently on one of the bigger YouTube's uh, Canicribs. They're deeply rooted series. So uh, check them out. Really awesome stuff and uh, accomplished group over there. Both uh, the guys doing it at home, like they were talking about at the beginning of the show, uh, meeting up for Croptoberfest and just generally, I mean, uh, awesome stuff coming out of Michigan, both on the political side, on the grow side. I think they're doing a lot of things right over there. So they deserve the uh, shout outs that they're getting. Did you, were, were people interested in the, uh, I know America, the American one mentioned it an hour ago or so, but were people interested in that plant soil feedback paper? Cause I have it on, 
I actually already have it on. I could do a screen share about it really quickly. You should be able to share. I have it so that anybody yeah. can share now. It's really interesting. I'm I'm curious. And uh, like in this example, it was a negative for the next uh, plant. But in, I would like you were saying, it's possible that it has a positive in certain uh, examples, right? Yeah, I think that like, I mean, this this I think it's really important always to I don't want to rehash it all the time, but I think it's really useful to just make the point that it's, it's one research report looking at a specific set of uh, factors. Uh, it's not the entirety of everything that goes on, but like you, but like you say, um, I'm sure that there are effects that are, that, that occur that the plant, that plants have that. And I know that this is the case in other reports that, that they can help, you know, sort of, process the environment in such a way uh, a really great example is like black walnuts that uh, really <laughs> really control the soil around their own growth so that their own seedlings are advantaged and their and and competing species are uh, poisoned and disadvantaged uh, so things like that that's an extreme example but things like that do happen and uh, in this case um, basically so there's this there's two terms I want to introduce people to that can you can do your own research about one is called the rhizosphere effect, and that basically shows is essentially the idea of um, how much the rhizosphere, which is those few like millimeters or maybe even a couple centimeters from the root surface to, you know, that extends out into the soil. Yeah, I'm not saying this is the only extent of the plant effect, but that's just the rhizosphere effect. And that's the area where the plant has, you know, through, through the production of exodus and that kind of a thing, it has this um, sort of, um, you know, maintenance effect of the soil microbiome. Um, so then we have this as the plant soil feedback. And basically, essentially, you can have a negative, you can map it on a spectrum, right? A negative or a positive feedback effect. And this research report looked at beneficial microbes, known, documented, very well-studied beneficial microbes in this particular case, Pseudomonas simiae, um, which is a known plant growth um, affecting bacteria. And also the effects of the cabbage fly larva on the roots and also the effects of other um, here we have here in this paper, we can, or this, this picture kind of shows it. Uh, they kind of showed uh, conditioned and unconditioned situations with various uh, um, organisms. You have an aphid here. You have, um, this is a caterpillar larva. This is the diamondback moth caterpillar. And this is the um, deli radicum. That's the cabbage uh, fly. And, uh, and even a case where you have both of them at the same time. Uh, and what they found was that a ton, this, this, is a, this is a heat map of all of the various like genes um, that are being, if I remember correctly, uh, they're being like turned on and turned off. Uh, these are fungal and bacterial. Uh, is, that, is that the case? I just wanted to, I wanna quote this incorrectly. Um, these do appear to be references with, um, with various microbes. Uh, so you know what? You'll have to take a look at the research report yourself because I don't remember that particular facet. But they were talking about how um, there's a ton. Of, oh, yeah, that was a different paper. I'm confusing this with a different heat map. But basically, the um, long story short is that uh, regardless of the fact that they had beneficial microbes or various uh, insects feeding on it and that sort of a thing, 
um, even though the plant was able to fight off some, some level of, um, of the, of the feeding and all of that, um, the rhizosphere itself is negatively affected just by their simple presence, uh, because the microbes in the guts of the insects can get deposited in the microbiome, um, through feeding, through, you know, refuse and, and production of waste, right? They get passed through in that way. Um, so really what happens is that when the plant dies, those microbes that are introduced, uh, they kind of stay in there and they maintain a somewhat better, and there's many different variables to consider, but they didn't aggregate all of them here. Those microbes, those effects compound over time and they create a situation where it's more beneficial for the pests and the herbivores, really pests is a human concept. Right. And, um, that's just like, just startling to me because it almost is like, uh, it's not that it's something I didn't know already, but it's sort of startling to consider in the set of like, uh, people who have perspectives of almost like magical thinking about the plants and, and how they have these effects that are oftentimes not, um, I guess, uh, attributed to on this show, I've even said that, uh, microbes are kind of like the spirits of the soil. Um, and you know, you can't say that I'm going to trademark that, but <laughs> it's true. Um, I feel like in, in a lot of ways, they're like the Kodama of, uh, you know, of Japanese, uh, folklore, the sort of like forest spirits and, and things like that, because we can't see them, but they have multiplex effects on plants and, uh, soil microbiology, of course, being microbes themselves. And I just think that that's really cool and a really important thing to sort of engender in people is that these miniature effects do compound over time. And I would encourage people to take a look at the plant soil feedback research out there, as well as the rhizosphere effect. I'm always uh, excited to learn more about it. It is something that I don't have a hundred percent grasp of. I don't know if I ever will, but it's fun to continually be learning. I think that life would be a little bit boring if we had it all figured out uh to be a lifelong learner is to i think be successful in a way so just uh like everybody listening we got to just try and keep learning as much as we can uh, about lots of different topics whether it's something that comes naturally to you or it's difficult i think sometimes it's good to get out of your comfort zone and uh, try and do new things and, and learn different things so with that being said we've got about six minutes left so i want to give everybody a chance to uh, give their final thoughts and shout out and i'll pass it first over to brandon rust Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always a pleasure to be here with all of the listeners. And um, yeah, I'll uh, see you guys next week. Uh, you, again, you guys can find me at rust.brandon. Uh, and then you can find links to my company, Bokashi Earthworks and Black Label Organics. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, next up, I'll pass it to Noah the Groa. Yeah. Hey, sorry. I was a little bit late guys, but, uh, yeah, I had a great time as always. I got a question there about the two by four grow tent and grow light. I've already been doing a little research since I've been, uh, sitting here listening to everybody and getting a few words in here and there, but yeah, I'm uh Noah, the grow with two E's on Instagram. Uh, my lights are getting ready to change again. So I'll be going live from my room. I'm, uh, doing pretty decent in there right now. I'm excited to show everybody here in a few weeks what I got going on and I'll uh, see you guys all next week.
thank you so much for joining us. I always love your uh, walkthroughs of your room. Some killer stuff as always, uh, whether it's live or on the Instagram, definitely make sure to check out Noah V. Groa. That's V with two E's, T-H-E-E-G-R-O-W-A. And Noah spelled just like the way you would think. Uh, thank you again, Noah, for joining us. And I'll pass it next over to Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey, everyone. Um, if you couldn't tell, I am into plant health research. So if you'd like to get more of that information, there are a few ways you can interact with me. One is uh, I am a consultant. And if you need IPM help, you can take me out at xenthanol.com. You can also contact me on my Instagram. I do get a lot of uh, uh, inquiries there um, at my Sync Angel Instagram account, as well as on Twitter at Sync Angel. And you can also find uh, my information on my Patreon, which is also patreon.com slash xenthanol. If you're looking to uh, passively support some of the content I produce on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, where I uh, interact and talk with people about pests and uh, we'll probably be producing a little bit more live stream uh, content with regards to questions people have about IPM and how to uh, better cultivate plants generally and how to make that a uh, holistic situation work well for you. So I'm very interested in doing that more uh, in the coming days and weeks. I'm looking forward to seeing the content and uh, all the other things that you're mentioning moving forward. So excited for that moving ahead. And thank you so, so much for joining us. I know you didn't get to uh, get into as much IPM this week, but I'm happy you got to share some of the science and stuff there in that post. And uh, it was definitely a good addition to the show. So very happy to have you. And Last from our regular panel, but certainly not least, the American one. Doc, shout out to you, always hosting. Uh, shout out to the guests, uh, Crack Babies, DWC, and Sergeant Bone. Um, I also hemp with Gigi. Hemp with Gigi, I got a quick question. Are those two uh, UV strips on a separate driver, or are they like plug into that light? They plug in with a little, uh, I don't know if my mic's on, it is okay. They plug in with a little cord. I can see where my camera is. Here we go. Yep. But yeah, so that, there's a UV IR button. So if I was to click this, I cover okay, a bit of it. it would turn this whole strip off. So this is UVB and IR all at once. Okay, very cool. All right, thanks for that. And That's yeah, convenient. shout out to everyone in chat. And uh yeah. Oh, and Dr. MJ Coco in his absence, man, he definitely, that was a, I liked watching his uh, video. He started up some seeds and uh, mm -hmm. it's always good to check out CocoForCannabis.com, right? So peace. Absolutely awesome to check out CocoForCannabis.com. I'm going to give him a big shout out as well. Uh, we missed Doc this week, but he makes really amazing content on his YouTube channel over there and also on his website, Coco for Cannabis, which is, I believe, where we know him from hemp with gg from initially so i'll pass it to you hemp with gg to give your final thoughts and shout out thank you uh yeah i started with dr mj coco first i want to thank you jack green i never thought i'd be up here showing the elitist people in the group i see you guys as kind of like the the famous people i never thought i'd be showing you my plant so i definitely appreciate you having me up here i like the new content of everybody kind of showing and asking you can find me on Instagram, HempWithGG, or you can find me on my YouTube, HempWithGG, where I go over just tips for beginners and cover grow equipment. And again, thank you so much, Jack, for having me on here. 
It was uh, our pleasure. Honestly, I love, uh, we're all just growers too. And, uh, I think that it's great to bring people onto the panel and make them realize, you know, we're just humans and growers like you. So, uh, it's, it's really fun to bring you guys on and make you part of the crew. And I think that that's the beauty of this show is it's always growing. We've got, uh, ever evolving, you know, people come in and on the panel and it's great to get the people from the chat up here and give them a chance to, uh, you know, share their garden, ask questions. We're all growing together. Nobody knows everything yet. <laughs> so really we're all learning. Yeah. And, uh, I think uh, Scotty uh, from Dude Grow Us as well is we're learning in public. And I think a lot of us can, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, just continue to keep learning. And, you know, um, I think Sergeant Bowen said it. He goes, I, you know, every single run, I had something that I wasn't happy with, wasn't happy with. And then finally, like, you can just crush it one run. And even on that run, I'm sure there's a thing or two that you've realized, oh, I could fix this or do yeah. that. And it's, it's like a lifelong uh, pursuit. And that's why it's, it's so fun and interesting. So with that said, I want to pass it to Sergeant Bone for your final thoughts and shout out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, it's you guys. It's, it's the panel. It's all, every one of you guys has taught me something. There's uh, Jack. I love your, your passion. I love, I'm, I'm like you. I love the history of plants. I love where they came from. I'm an old shit. I'm an old, old guy. So I, I've, uh, I've been smoking since uh, 73. So anyway, I don't want to get into me. Matthew, you're a wealth of information. I don't have insect problems because of you. I don't need you because of all the great information you put out. Spartan's like my kid. Uh, I, he's, he's, he's a spitting image of me. He's, he grows like I do. He thinks like I, most, most things we agree on almost everything. I love catching him all the time over at Michigan. Post. I'll say I'm in a red state. I'm in Wisconsin. So I'm kind of stuck between Illinois, Michigan. Everybody's growing all around us. I'm, I'm kind of jealous, but I'm so glad for everybody else. You know, it's great to see it happening. Uh, Tao, Tao, I love you, man. Um, Dr. MJ, I did a little journal over there. His last, uh, not this new year, but the year before. Uh, just all you guys. I just, I know I'm missing some of you. Noah, Brandon. But you guys are great, and and you you make the show, you make us better. We're all getting better together, and I think uh, we wouldn't have a show if you guys weren't showing up each week listening. And uh, it's awesome to hear that people like yourself have been listening since episode one. I mean, right now I had to look before the show, but episode one thirty six. We've been doing this for over two years now, and we've missed very very few episodes. And uh, we're all really dedicated to this thing, and it continues, in my opinion, to you know get better and better each week our, our our conversations and the dialogue we try and push it forward and be friendly and inviting of all people so uh i've really enjoyed this whole process and uh i think that it's we're all getting better together so with that said uh crack babies dwc you're the final one and then i'll give uh the final shout outs hey thanks jack and thanks uh, to everyone on the panel uh, like uh like sergeant said it's a wealth of information from everybody here i've definitely benefited from it and uh, so i'd like to give a big shout out to chat too there because they ask great questions and uh, of course dr coco there at uh, coco for cannabis and then with Gigi uh, doing really great there with all the info and everything and, uh, so uh, yeah uh, i'm on uh, instagram crack babies dwc and uh, coco for cannabis crack babies and uh, yeah have a great night guys thanks again for joining us it was a pleasure to have all of the uh, special guests this evening i always enjoy when we can have uh, any guest on the show and being able to throw it out to the community and, and 
bring up some of the listeners is something that I've enjoyed. And I think the panel enjoys it as well. So you can look forward to more of this in the future. I also think it incentivizes some people to listen live when maybe they wouldn't otherwise. Uh, so getting people in here, being part of the live chat, I agree. The questions, uh, it's so much of the content comes from the great questions we get from the chat. And it makes me think about things in ways that maybe I never would have otherwise. So I'm very thankful for all the listeners here live and those afterwards who listen on the podcast cast and listen to the YouTube recording. So uh, with that said, I'm your host as always, Jack Greenstock, like you can see right here behind me. I got a few book orders this week, so I'm always thankful to the people that are continuing to pick up copies. Uh, if they weren't able to get it sooner, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm always happy to ship them out. They get there in usually about a week in the US, a little longer for international, but I ship them the same day I get the order, ideally if I can, or the next day. So doing the best I can with that, you can get the uh, book at 50strains.com. And you can also find me, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter or email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com if you're not on any of the social medias other than YouTube or uh, whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Uh, with that said, growers love for Dr. MJ and all the others. This is Jack Greenstock signing off. Catch you next week.